Hello, Gaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsor. The IGMNX podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. The Pragmatic Solutions player account management platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. And now here is today's podcast. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome to the iGaming Next uh, podcast. Uh, we are celebrating the new year here in the podcast uh, with Robin Reed. How are you doing today? Hi, Pierre, and uh, what a pleasure and honor to be here and celebrate the new year with you. I'm feeling uh, great. Been up working uh, all night uh, as usual, but uh, I'm feeling very much looking forward to being on the show with you and talk about uh, what we both care about the most: the gaming industry. Yes, that's ab- absolutely right. Mm. So uh, yeah, so uh, you pulled an all nighter today. I heard. Yeah, <laughs> you, you just went to get some sun before this. <laughs> no, uh, it was a hidden brag. I had a few hours of sleep, but uh, things are going well at the moment. So working really <laughs> hard and with pleasure. Yeah, exciting mm. stuff. So. So it's a, it's a new year, I mean, 2021, Robin, and we are just a couple of days into this year. And, uh, you know, everyone was celebrating that, like, yeah, screw 2020, and now it's 2021, it's going to be a lot better. And then immediately it started with, like, the Western democracies falling in the States, and <laughs> things, are, things are not exactly looking better on this end. But um, I must ask you, Robin, like, um, in the new year, it's a new, new year, new Robin, what are your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I met a very interesting person uh, a couple of years back. Uh, she is uh, a life coach and she works with uh, inspiration from everything from Buddhism to uh, to modern therapy. And, uh, and I've learned a lot from this person. And, uh, you know, there is things such as diets, uh, such as uh, sort of uh, being at peace with the world and uh, self-growth. And... Uh, I guess it comes a time in every business leader's life where uh, these things start to occupy you. You know, you work so hard, there is stress, so you start to look into the more spiritual side. So on my end, uh, it is uh, to actually grow spiritually, and uh, and uh, it sounds a bit flamboyant, but uh, I'm really enjoying sort of a self-growth journey at the moment and uh, having a sort of a life coach and uh, and uh, something I recommend everybody, especially those who are CEOs and business leaders and works under a lot of pressure to look into. Uh, feeling completely at peace with yourself and the surroundings and uh, joy and happiness and those things. So I'm really enjoying that journey. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome, actually. I, I love that you're mm-hmm. saying that, Robin, because I think uh, something uh, that generally is becoming more popular and, and also more accepted in general is uh, kind of um, taking help from others uh, to, to better your, your life and to understand your thoughts and uh, you know, therapy in general, I think it's becoming more and more popular. And I'm of the p- opinion that like, uh, that everyone needs therapy or everyone needs a life coach that you're, you're, 
that you are doing, for example. And it's cool to hear that um, that you are choosing that route in general because mm -hmm. there's so much to learn, right? And it's so many people who maybe have too big egos or they think they do everything right or they maybe have unresolved things that they are not even aware of. Um, but what would be? Uh, yeah, I want I, I want to just uh, follow up on that. Like, what what are the biggest upsides to you to work with a life coach? You know, we have uh, we have uh, fitness coaches, we have nutritionists, we have business coaches. We uh, we take inspiration and advice from so many places. And uh, I'm also involved in a football club. And um, you know, the topic of a mental coach has come up many times. These young athletes uh, live under tremendous pressure when they go and play in front of full uh, in the full stadiums. And uh, and uh, so why not? Uh, spend uh, more time paying attention to uh, sort of that side of things, uh, you know, your mental fitness. And uh, the key takeaways for me has been um, one, we never stop growing, no matter how complete you feel one year. When you look back a few years later on, then you uh, think, oh, if I only had known this and that and been uh, the version I am today. And uh, why not accelerate that process? Why not learn from people that has uh, met uh, so many interesting people and so many interesting life journeys and uh, and sort of turbocharged uh, that uh, that development in people before? And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you can't be too concrete, but I think uh, things like uh, mind sighting other people, being much better at understanding the perspective of other people when you do choices yourself and understanding the sociology around you and um, and really trying to sort of add value around you as uh, as you uh, go through life yourself, I think is very interesting topics. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it was uh, the, um, the psychologist Jordan Peterson who got the question like, uh, what is uh, happiness? What is happiness in life? And he said, oh, what is the purpose of, of life? And he said, the purpose of life is to, uh, it's not a goal or anything like that. The purpose of life is to find yourself on a path where you mm -hmm. become a little bit better every day. Uh, and it's yes. not about being a complete person because you'll never be a complete person. It's just about a little bit better every day. And if you find yourself on that path, then you you have found your uh, your purpose, kind of thing in, in, in life. So uh, uh, happy to yes. happy to hear happy to hear that uh, <laughs> uh, Speaking about uh, yeah yeah speaking about uh, you know um, looking looking back and and improving and uh, and um, and constantly. Uh, taking the the next step forward and, and evolving, I wanted to uh, kind of take a step back a little bit, uh, Robin, because um, obviously you founded uh, GIG uh, a couple of years uh, back. I think it's uh, like ten years back or something uh, along those lines. And you built that yeah. uh, company to uh, incredible heights at uh, at some point, and you were um, uh, you were involved there before moving on to um, obviously new products and, and and stuff like that. And I wanted to ask you, kind of, um, if you look back on your time at GIG. Can you um, can you evaluate your own time from a almost like a third person perspective? Like uh, how how was your time uh, there, and, and uh, how did you uh, how did you um, accomplish the things that you did there? And then uh, and then how how do you see the company uh, you know moving on after after Robin? It was a hell of a ride, and uh, I have to correct you because uh, I wasn't the only founder. I had uh, Frodo Fogley uh, with me and uh, many other people that invested early on and that helped uh, bring up the company. We um, we came from uh, the perspective of a player. We uh, were poker players ourselves and went into the industry uh, wanting to uh, improve the customer orientation of the industry. 
And I think we uh, pursued it at, uh, sort of in everything we did. And uh, it led to success. We had, uh, I think, uh, six and seventeen quarters in a row uh, with uh, consecutive uh, growth and uh, sequential growth and uh, went from strength to strength. Uh, one thing I've learned, though, uh, is that uh, I remember back when I was a poker player and uh, I once saw a uh, once a coaching video with Phil Galfond, which I look very much up to in poker. And he uh, was asked by someone, you know, when you play those no split games and when you play the uh, the best in the world, how can you actually win money given that there is rake uh, to the house and uh, why are you not just all exchanging money and over a long time losing uh, to the house? And he answered that uh, he has found that even the best poker players in the world, they... Uh, they uh they don't play optimal under two circumstances uh, that is one when they are uh, very unlucky and they're running bad and they're losing and they start to deviate from their a game uh, the second one is when they're winning a lot when things are going really well then uh, they're deviating from their a game and uh so i try to sort of just stay in between in the middle at all times and i guess the uh, best poker player is the person that is able to uh, do that and uh, i really took that advice with me uh in uh, life, I think, and when you look back at Gig, I think, um, I think uh, you know the company grew uh, at one point. I think the market cap was about five hundred million, and uh, the com the company went from strength to strength. But uh, one thing we didn't pay much, uh, you know, too enough adequate attention to, I would say, is uh, regulation and uh, the impact that had. Uh, and um, two thousand and eighteen was a very interesting year for Gig. We um, we sort of had gone, uh, 2017 had been fantastic. We had gone from, I think, 56 million in revenues to 120 or something. And uh, things were going really well. And um, in 2018, we started pursuing uh, a range of uh, projects. Uh, we had uh, Hard Rock coming up in the United States. Uh, so we were getting our platform regulated in the United States. We went after the sports books. So there was a sports book license as well both land-based uh, and uh, offline. Uh, there was terminals, there was over-the-counter betting. Uh, at the same time, uh, uh, you know, AML4 uh, was uh, really starting to get an effect on the industry. UKGC had um, really started sort of uh, enforcing stricter regulation. Uh, Sweden was about to regulate from January 2019. GDPR was coming. Payment Services Directory 2 was coming. And um, there was just so much regulation going on. Well, at the same time, the company was significantly expanding, doing its own platform, uh, trading engine, uh, you know, odds, um, remote gaming server and games, uh, whilst also uh, doing our own marketing and uh, B2C. So uh, there was a lot going on at the same time. And um, I think it was a sound strategy. Uh, and I think uh, we executed uh, well on it, but uh, we didn't factor in just how much attention that uh, would uh, soon need to be uh, sort of uh, deterred to uh, meet regulatory requirements. And uh, in hindsight, when we back trade, um, I would have done less projects, uh, sort of understanding the implications of uh, the regulation uh, that came. Um, with that said, uh, Q4 uh, 2018 was uh, the uh, the best uh, sort of financial performance the company had had. It was an all-time high. There was uh, you need to adjust for sort of a two million one-off that was in the same quarter the year before. But it was the best quarter the company has ever had. And at the point uh, we were electing a new board, we were going to do a new listing in Stockholm, and uh, 
it was quite sad to see how we were sitting uh, in a board meeting in January, whereas I think we should have celebrated uh, sort of the best quarter the company has ever had. But it was actually quite a bad atmosphere. There was new board members. Uh, there wasn't a good chemistry. You know, fast forwarding to um, to the next meeting, I think that was in April or so. The atmosphere was even worse, and it was clear that uh, you know there wasn't a good fit here. Um, so it was time to sort of handshake and move on. Uh, and um, yeah, I think uh, I think it is sad that uh, even though there was all these uh, all these changes coming, and uh, of course the company um, would uh, see a dip and would need to replace some revenues with new revenues, and would be hard work coming forward. I think it is sad that uh, that I didn't manage to uh, sort of foster a culture where uh, everybody, even at the highest level, was in uh, in the same boat and uh, where we pulled together through. With that said. So the other question you asked is, how do you see gig going forward? I am very positive about the prospects of the company, even though uh, I don't have the sort of insights anymore uh, about what's going on day to day in the business and uh, precisely what they're doing. I do know that uh, sort of the commercial team that was put together back in uh, 2018 with James King and Ben Clements and uh, these guys, um, you know, they've been given the time now to uh, to really sort of um, um, get the process together and get the structure together and they're delivering sales upon sales which is very encouraging and uh, I think um, yeah I think uh, the company should have a good future uh, yeah hope to see a Q4 where they are profitable uh, on a bottom line level I think they should be um, but I don't know and uh, it's going to be very exciting to see in February yeah it seems like uh, gig kind of took uh, took kind of like one step back, so to say, and, and uh, divested, obviously, their B2C, and um, they gave focus on their platform. Um, and um, yeah. I think the strategy seems to be a lot that they are focusing on uh, on bringing land-based casinos into the online uh, environment, which obviously was accelerated now by, by COVID. So it seems that the company were quite well-timed in that transition. Uh, and like you're saying, I spoke to James King actually yesterday. Uh, we, we, uh, we we spoke. Uh, he's a great person in general. He's been on the podcast as well. Absolutely, um, fantastic, right? Yeah, and uh, it seems like uh, you know those kind of key hires, especially when the company is making that type of transition into B two B and the sales, the B two B sales side of things becomes so important. Um, just an individual like that can really push an entire organization, even a listed, a big listed company. Uh, you know, a key hire like that can really lift the whole organization. Again, which and we have to lift up uh, other people as well. So in 2018, I believe it was, we had a capital markets day where we sort of presented the strategy that uh, the niche was uh, to help uh, especially land-based uh, clients transition uh, online. Yeah. And uh, at the time, not only James uh, were hired, but also um, we uh, started hiring in fantastic people in the technology department, Jonathan Gauci, Chris Arms, uh, Stephen Borch, uh, and uh, set out to uh, sort of complete the refactoring project and the Gigcore platform V2. And uh, I think a lot of the success you're seeing now is coming from the work of these people and how they've been able to uh, really make uh, technology that uh, should at this point be, uh, you know, very state of the art and up to speed and give them that increased bandwidth to now take on board uh, more and more clients. Uh, so uh, very positive about uh, the fact that uh, at least uh, that part of the strategy they have uh, pulled through with uh, the sale of B2C, I think was a huge mistake. They uh, were sitting with uh, a brand that is performing uh, great and it was sold very cheap. And, um, you know, you could easily have gotten 20 million euro profits out of that uh, brand in uh, 2000 and, um, 
21. So uh, that would defend the market capitalization of gig uh, alone. And uh, But uh, they wanted to focus on B2B. Uh, personally, I think the company should have still done B2B, but uh, focused on B2C. And uh, that was, of course, yeah. uh, a very different direction and fair game. Uh, wish them all the best yeah. luck. And I'm sure the B2B business will do really well. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite because they, they divested risk at kind of the low point of the industry in, in 2019 when the multipliers were not that great in these several transactions. Uh, I, I think um, risk was divested as like a five times multiplier or something like that on the EBITDA. Something like this. Something like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And we just talked before the podcast here now that. Uh, um, uh, it was just announced the other day that uh, Mtain is like, inquiring N Labs, uh, and uh, on the opposite side of the argument here, Adam, we, we talked about that that valuation is uh, a lot higher than than that, obviously, and, and maybe even questionably too high. Uh, what's your thoughts on the on uh, on N Labs being acquired by uh, Mtain? You know, I think, uh, and you need to see that uh, transaction in context uh, with a cool bet transaction that happened uh, a little while back as well. And uh, I think uh, what is really interesting to me is that, um, you, you know, I think the company is sound and good. I've been paying attention to Endups for many years. And uh, it's a strong company. And uh, it also seems that uh, Coolbet uh, now has broken into profitability and they've done something different. And it is a company that is well appreciated by its customers. But when you look at the prices for these, uh, it's clear that the companies are paying a full price. And um, these are smart people that are acquiring these companies. And uh, when you're looking at the multiples, that tells me something. Um, COVID uh, has led uh, to a fantastic growth for uh, at least online casinos yeah. and uh, poker rooms and, um, and uh, sort of changed uh, consumer habits uh, worldwide uh, into more sort of favorable um, landscape for uh, IBM operators, I, I would say. And uh, there has been the fear that sort of the 20, 25% sort of revenue growth that you would naturally see from COVID uh, would decline again once um, once the COVID pandemic is over. And, uh, and that has sort of left some investors uh, worry about the longevity of these multiples that you're currently seeing. But I find it very interesting that, uh, you know, Entain, arguably one of the strongest managements uh, in the industry, then is willing to pay such a full price for Endlabs because that tells me something about their mid and long-term perspective on the industry from the numbers they are seeing. And that, uh, that I find very interesting. Yeah, because now we were, we, 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 we didn't know exactly. I think there was the multiple now on Endlabs on was something between 10 to 12. All right, so we are up there again on kind of the 2018 and before levels where the multiples were on a similar level, right? Yeah, I think the, uh, mm. if I recall correctly, the transaction was about the 250 million and uh, that mm. was at the run rate of uh, 20 million in uh, Q, uh, in uh, Q3, I guess. And, um, and uh, with an adjusted EBTA of uh, something like six and a half million. And uh, then you start to talk about the quite high multiple again from uh, primarily online operator in uh, relatively small markets. Uh, so I find it very interesting, but of course a good fit to maintain and uh, yeah. their global expansion. But uh, financially, it tells you that they are very confident in uh, how mm. the value will develop. Yeah, I'm thinking mm. back now actually, because last time I saw you in, in person, Robin, the last summer in, in Spain, uh, you told me yeah. something that I have told so many people, and I've said it so many times really? in the podcast as well, uh, which is the fact that we talked about investments in the agami industry, and it seems that the agami industry is is, uh, is uh, in a better place now than it was a year ago, perhaps. And uh, yes. you told me that uh, investors are 
generally looking for uh, recession-proof investments. You know, that's uh, if you if you're in a recession-proof uh, industry, um, uh, investors look positively on that, especially in in uncertain times like this, of course. Um, but then you told me as well that you know investors are now also looking into pandemic-proof investments. Yes, and the iGaming industry is both. Mm. I thought that was such an interesting um, argument because you don't see that in many industries that you have um, uh, industries that are uh, that are immune to both a, a pandemic and uh, and a recession and, and the pandemic proof investments have never even been thought about before before this um, pandemic hit but it's certainly something that investors are not going to forget as we move forward no and it would be gross misconduct to do that and if you yeah. uh, you know the the short term share price at least in the smaller cap companies is always uh very fluctuated based on uh, sort of the retail segment and day traders and so forth but obviously it is the large money that is ultimately uh mm. moving uh the share price uh, in of the companies and of the sectors uh, in the long term and uh when you look at some of these um some of these uh players you know they uh the people that are managing the money they uh they, do, they only have so much time and there are so many companies they need to follow and uh, there is so much influx of funds to some of these fun uh, some of capital to some of these funds that uh, obviously they rather want to put their money into something that uh, grows steadily and uh, where there isn't sort of a major risk that needs to make you alert all time uh, and uh, and uh, now we have seen uh, what can happen with a covid pandemic Pandemic and who knows whether you know it's going to come a new pandemic 15 years from now with a new virus and how well prepared we're going to be and whether it's going to be a more mean virus or not so that's of course something that you need to factor in now when you're seeing what happened to the share price both up and down so yeah. uh, of, of, of various companies so uh, the iGaming industry has certainly you know if you look at multiples when once there was a lot of regulatory changes and a lot of uncertainty and many investors chose to be on the fence it has sort of forced people to come back uh, and uh, really consider uh, iGaming uh, as a viable long-term investment again and uh, i think that's partially what's driving the share price up not only the actual value and the financial performance today but uh, more that the industry has gotten a better uh, better reputation as an investment object yeah and then so that's that's like the positive news right but then um on the opposite end of that spectrum uh, something that i hear a lot when i talk to the uh, head of investment relations in in some of the listed companies is the uh, is the fact that the all-time highs in on the stock market in the agri industry was something somewhere around 2015. Um, but despite that, um, many of the listed agri companies are still setting all-time highs in 2020. Um, Correct. And the reason for that, they say, is uh, that uh, the investors are, are the the question of ESG, basically ethical uh, investments, are becoming much more important now to the uh, investors and as the time goes on uh, it's becoming more and more important uh, all the time and that, that raises the question of just su sustainability uh, of the industry mm -hmm. like what does the industry need to do to uh, to to be seen uh, from a better light from the uh, from the investors i think it needs to be honest and innovative and um I think uh, we need to admit that uh, there has been uh, issues within the industry and a track record. Uh, like many other industries, there has been, uh, you know, there has been um, 
there has been practices and activities and whatnot that uh, we have to do better. And uh, ESG is becoming uh, more and more important for uh, investment managers and uh, funds and uh, investors in general. And I think uh, they will look at the sharper eye uh, on the iGaming industry with this uh, going forward as well. And the only way we can do we can deal with that is to innovate. We need to uh, ensure that uh, the services we are uh, delivering is even more entertaining, even more fair, even uh, more open, even more uh, honest. And um, I think there is a lot of innovation going on in that regards. We also need to work with uh, the governments. We need to work with uh, the organizations. Uh, there is. Uh, there is a lot of regulation going on at the moment. There is new challenges, uh, online, iGaming, privatization and so forth from many governments. Uh, it's going to take time to find their foothold. Uh, and I think we need to work very closely with, uh, with these people and these organizations when developing these frameworks so that we don't alienate parts of the industry and create a huge black market. While at the same time, we're able to create a framework that actually allows companies sort of the uh, freedom of resource to focus on how they're going to innovate on their services. Mm. So, uh, do, do you, a, yeah, yeah, there's a lot that needs to be done. So, but do you, you know, a lot of times you hear the industry kind of beating its chest and saying, you know, we uh, we are scrutinized so hard now, regulatory wise, and um, uh, with uh, with KYC checks, AML, all of the things to that it's almost uh, impossible to. Um, to have players that are uh, that are harmfully playing for a uh, large amount of money, so at least in certain markets like Sweden, where obviously with the positive limits and so forth. But um, do you think, like, do you think we are there as an industry, or are we far away from first of all solving the problem of um, player responsibility, uh, and uh, secondly, then to change the perception of the industry? Are we ready to change the perception of the industry? Or would we be, um, are we not there yet? Like, it's going to take a long time. Gambling has existed for thousands of years and uh, yeah. it's going to exist for many thousand years to come. And um, this is going to take more than a year or two or three. And uh, it doesn't help for either regulators or for the industry or myself or anybody else to cry for the sick mother. We need to look at what the future is going to be like and we need to embrace it. And uh, I think the industry is doing a good job. I find, you know, even what has just happened over the last 12 months when I'm speaking with people now and I'm seeing uh, the level of uh, sort of how, how professional um, and many of the professionals has become in the industry and uh, sort of how they're working with VAPs, how they're working with customer services. Uh, the shift has happened now it is about uh, sort of obtaining more and more skills more and more learnings developing more and more software and uh, doing it better and better but the paradigm shift has uh, already happened we are mm -hmm. in iGaming v3o and uh, i think the industry is heading towards a better place yeah and, and it's happened quick as well if it's like yeah uh, like yeah i think yeah. i guess the uh would you agree that like the swedish regulation was like the wake-up call for the industry in that regard no, I think the um, oh. I think there was two wake up calls. I think one was uh, in fact the, the UKGC, and I think the other one was uh, the repelling of PASPA and uh, how uh, the American market opened up. I think that really put uh, regulation on the agenda. Of course, uh, many of the companies uh, in uh, in Europe were sort of traditionally uh, Maltese uh, licensed companies who uh, who had a Swedish origin. So uh, when Sweden regulated that, also. Uh, that also brought uh, a lot of reform. But uh, as a whole, I think it was the US and the UK that brought this forward. What I do, uh, what I find very interesting, something I wouldn't spot that, uh, two years ago, an argument I never brought up, but uh, things uh, I've been thinking about in that respect is that um, sort of how was the iGaming industry 
able to relatively quick sort of turn around the ship and uh, and find new ways and new practices. And I think it stems from these companies uh, having been in uh, very high growth, uh, you know, scenarios. Uh, for many, many years. So you basically had managements and you had people, although they didn't have to factor in that level of regulation before, they were experts in uh, change management. They were experts in uh, rapid growth. They were experts in um, in handling that. And so when such a large change came, even though it was a different type of change, uh, it wasn't necessarily what leads to growth day one, they were fully ready to sort of embrace that change and uh, move forward. And uh, that's a skill set that has uh, sort of spread throughout the eye-getting industry, which I think uh, which I think is very valuable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's such a dynamic industry, right? So there, there's always yeah, things changing. There's always a, a new regulation in that market or another market <laughs> yeah. opening up for it. There's never a core moment, let's say. And it's also very young. It's never industry, boring. Right? It's, it's never, never ever boring. boring. <laughs> That's that something that you should know. We don't work in a boring industry. That is definitely <laughs> true. Not for the faint of heart, let's say that. Um, <laughs> but so, so I think, I mean, in general, it's it's all well and good that the industry kind of went through this uh, change and uh, and kind of these wake up calls, as you were mentioning, and and um, uh, to to better itself and to better take care of the. Uh, problematic gambling and uh, to seriously as an industry take uh, take this question seriously. Um, but yes. then the next phase, in my opinion, is then how the industry is being perceived by the general population, by the by the next the person next door. Right. So I was mm. in Sweden uh, during the holidays and um, my sister that I stayed with, she has a very different perception of the industry than uh, than what we have, for example, because obviously um, the fact of the matter is that most people don't play online casino, but they are very much aware of the online casino industry with the massive amount of advertisement that they see on a day-to-day -day basis. And the messaging um, is sometimes very aggressive, right? It's like win big, like we draw now and uh, we draw your winnings. And uh, it's all about the big win, so to say. And, and um, most people understand that uh, that uh, that is not the reality of, of playing uh, online casino. Most people don't win big, let's say. Um, mm. So, so my question is a little bit. Um, it seems to me that what the industry the industry has a perception a perception problem uh, based on that type of uh, targeted marketing, which have traditionally targeted kind of the, the problem players. They have been targeting th those uh, those problematic uh, gamblers, and. Um, you know, you've seen a little bit uh, lately as well that some organizations, I think Betson is a good example of that, are trying to find other ways to uh, to market their products. Uh, I, I know that Betson are launched this like um, sports show where they are talking about uh, the next football games and they're analyzing a lot and they're they are they are basically bringing content to the market that gives genuine value and. Um, uh, in a digital environment, that is kind of how you do marketing these days. Uh, you know, you want to you want to bring content that people actually want to see, so to say. Um, so, do you think uh, do you think also that uh, the um, a big key to kind of securing uh, a sustainable future for the game industry uh, is also through the marketing strategies of the operators? Yes, um, I'm following. I'm following your reasoning, and I agree yeah. to a lot of it. I think uh, the um, 
I think what we're often forgetting when we're talking about the perception of the iGaming industry is uh, that uh, there is also a lot of positive connotation in uh, in sort of culture and mainstream media. Uh, look at the movies, uh, you know, uh, Hangover, uh, Vegas. Uh, there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of movies uh, sort of where we're presenting how fun it can be and. Um, and I think uh, that's, I would start in that end. I would uh, ask myself not only sort of what material value we are providing, whether it's a, a bigger bonus or a faster cash out or a better game, but I would also ask ourselves sort of which uh, immaterial value, which emotional value do we actually add? And uh, why has people been gambling since the dawn of mankind and why will they continue to do it forever? And uh, that's what we need to focus at. Uh, myself, you know, I know that uh, if I'm with a group of friends and uh, uh, I'm in a city where there is a casino and uh, we're going out uh, to a nightclub that night and we're dropping by the casino on the way, you know, I know I will have a good time. Generally, people uh, are, uh, you know, are in a happy mood and you wouldn't play reckless, you know, you're next to your friends. So it's a social experience. And, uh, you know, so that's, I think we, we need to sort of embrace that value of it. We need to create more social experiences. Uh, we need to create experiences where it's sort of the, um, th that feeling, the, um, um, sort of the exhilarating immersion that you get uh, from these products are embraced much better and we need to build on that rather than making it faster and making it uh, you know bigger and making it uh, more uh, yeah, bigger bonuses so and, and I think you're starting to see it in the industry it's coming from two angles not only from the iGaming industry it's also coming from the video gaming industry you know where you have uh, companies such as EA Sports where you can basically put in money and gamble to uh, get the loot pack and a better player that you can sell again and uh, you know, if you get a better player, you have a better team that you can show off to your friends. So I think a lot of more of these uh, creating suspense, creating excitement, creating exhilarating immersion is uh, coming. And uh, that's where we need to focus at, because then people would more identify the value of uh, the product we're delivering. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting uh, what you're saying. And I, and I think, I mean, the key seems to be to make the gaming industry entertaining. And I, I spoke to uh, Jenny Nilsson, who's heading Spear, uh, the Swedish industry yes. organization, yesterday. And, and we agreed a little bit that, you know, the, the, the we think that the vision of the gaming industry as an industry should be that mm -hmm. if I am a, a player and I, and I play on a casino and I happen to lose, I should still feel mm -hmm. that it was worth the time. Yes. I think that's a nice way of seeing it, uh, and and I think that that's what you were saying as well. You know, when you went to your, when you go to uh, to the casino with your friends uh, after a night out, you know, uh, and after a couple of gin and tonics or whatever you like to drink. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, you know, you go. Uh, yes, I, I. This is my. I'm good at reading people. That, that's why. And and their favorite. And it's with cucumber. And <laughs> a cucumber and, and a little bit of pepper maybe. Let's see <laughs> if yeah. it's if you want to spice it up. Mar Marvin's uh, gin tonic from uh, Buddha Man. That was my favorite. Yes, all time. that's that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so so you know when you go then to the casino after going to uh, to Buddha Man and having Marvin's uh, gin and tonics that are wonderful, uh, and uh, you know you play there uh, in the roulette table and you have fun. You know you win together or you lose together or whatever, and it goes a little bit up and down and the excitement of that. Then you go out to the casino and you felt you know that was that was really fun. You know even if you yes. lost, and that, mm. that should be the that should be the goal of the um, agami industry. And I think that's what the industry messaging need to be as well this is entertainment that we are providing right it's not that like um, mm -hmm. like play it us and you will win big like that is not the messaging that uh, is going to uh, give mm -hmm. sustainability to the industry you know then we are Absolutely. targeting a very niche part of yes. the population which is not sustainable for the future 
right? Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think uh, what we need to do now is we need to get uh, the industry has been working on back office for the last uh, two, three years. Uh, people uh, have had to devote uh, most of their resources to comply with uh, a lot of uh, a lot of changes, in which is necessary in many ways, uh, not always. But uh, now the attention need to come back to the front and to the actual user experience, mm -hmm. to the uh, to the value we're giving customers, innovation. Uh, there has barely been any innovation over the last uh, three to five years in this industry, and that needs to change now. Yeah, yeah. So, so we we have we have a, we have something to work on both on the marketing side of things, then, but then also in how we then how we then perceive the and uh, how we build the product itself. And I think it's an interesting subject because obviously now you are involved in, in a, a different company with uh, with Ichiban, uh, obviously, and, you, yes. uh, and the, uh, who have launched uh, some really cool product um, and the, your new uh, operator. And and um, it seems that that has that product has found success immediately, and, and it's so interesting to me because I mean I'm not uh, I, I'm I'm not an expert in products or and how operators succeed or or not and, and these things. But what I hear a lot is that it's very difficult in this day and age to launch an operator and succeed. This is what people are keep saying uh, to me at least. I don't know if uh, how 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 much that is true or whatever. But it seems that. Um, you guys were able to kind of penetrate uh, the, the markets that you're entering with uh, with some really innovative um, innovative side on the operator side. Can you talk a little bit like what is it behind that success and uh, go a little bit more in detail because I'm so bad at explaining uh, on the operator side. You know, you obviously know it much better than me. So I will answer to that, but first I got to admit, Pierre, uh, that I've kind of punked you a bit because um, <laughs> you know uh, everybody that worked with me in the communications department in Gig, they know that uh, you know when we have all hands meetings and these type of things, I uh, they always wanted to sort of pre-prep me with the questions, and uh, I thought it was always better to sort of let employees and whatever just ask questions so that I had to answer on the spot, and uh, because yeah. it leaves it more genuine and honest, and therefore people are more engaged. And uh, yeah. so uh, when we, when we had our preparation and said we were going to talk about the industry and these things. Uh, I didn't bring up one of the topics I wanted to tell you because uh, I will uh, make a world announcement here on iGaming Next that uh, I'm actually um, going to be involved in a new company. It's called Quantum and it's a uh, B2B company. Wow. And, uh, and uh, we are going to tackle uh, just the topics that we talked about, uh, provide a platform of software that can bring uh, innovation back to the iGaming industry. And uh, that has been uh, sort of the main goal of uh, what I have been involved with uh, lately. And uh, that uh, work is already ongoing and uh, it's super exciting and uh, I'm having the time of my life and there is coming some really good people to the company working with it. And uh, so uh, so that's coming, so stay tuned. There's gonna come more information about that, but uh, then you heard it first here on iGaming Next. Um, then uh, when it comes to actually Ichiban and the operator, so, uh, we needed uh, to create critical mass for what we want to disrupt, which is innovation, which is um, which is uh, social uh, in particular. And uh, uh, I don't agree that uh, that uh, you shouldn't start an operator these days. I think uh, if Elon Musk listened to the same, you know, then uh, he wouldn't have started a car company that is now the most valuable in the world. It is always about taking the industry forward. It is always about innovating. It is always about doing things better. And uh, with Ichiban, um, I can also tell you that uh, in the second months of operation, it was already profitable and on a seven-digit uh, 
and GR, and uh, I've never seen anything like it before. So uh, <laughs> that sort of speaks to the testament that uh, that you can indeed uh, absolutely start an operator in. Uh, but well, why? Why? How come that you manage? What is that that made it profitable, and others are not profitable after two months? No, so when I've helped them, what I've worked on is uh, is innovation and uh, incremental innovation. Um, the goal there is to uh, is to do something at the social aspect, uh, but to do that, uh, basically to fix the multiplayer, you need to fix the multi uh, single player first. And uh, so we started just uh, building a state-of-the-art casino platform for end users. We wanted uh, a fast site, we wanted to have all the hygiene factors, you know, good UI and UX. However, we have also uh, we have also done a few innovations in there, and uh, especially around the mobile experience and how things are presented uh, in the game stage page, with uh, an iframe overlay and uh, functionality displayed on top of the game. But more importantly, there is a lot of intelligence into the product. Uh, it's a lot of personalization. So when you, for instance, play and you level up, uh, then uh, there is an algorithm that reads off. Uh, your gameplay and sees which game you're playing and which stakes you're playing and when you're done getting spins back and uh, rewards and these type of things you're getting them while you uh, you're playing and after the game you're playing um, we have an exploration engine where we uh, have tagged up all the games and where we have uh, I think there is 180 or 190 tags or something and sort of gone down the Netflix route uh, in order to present a lobby that makes it easier to um, to find the content that you want and to couple the users with the content you want. And uh, finally, I think we created a really sort of immersive uh, game stage page that lets you really zoom in and uh, forget about the world and just have fun and uh, be immersed in the product. And uh, if you look at it combined, so all the hygiene factors of a state-of-the-art UI and UX and these innovations, uh, it has just proven to be uh, a fantastic uh, user experience. And it's uh, evidenced by the numbers. Um, I uh, checked uh, some KPIs uh, the other day. And uh, if you look at uh, sort of 100% of the depositors that came in uh, in the core markets in uh, October, which was the launch month, uh, the 8th of October, then uh, about, uh, I think it was something like 37, 38% uh, came back in a month two and deposited. Uh, so in November, but of those, some 34, 35% came back in December. Then that number was increasing. So 100% of the users that came in November, an even higher amount uh, came back in December than sort of the uh, comparable period. And uh, I haven't seen these numbers before that sort of uh, 30, 35, 40% of the users stick around for months and play. And so I think uh, just that focus on the user experience and delivering something uh, that just works and uh, and that uh, where there is uh, many new sort of elements and that uh, that has really worked. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you can see, you can clearly see that that, uh, so I, I have no reference to the numbers if those are uh, high or low, but I, 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 take, I take your word for it. Um, but uh, clearly, uh, you know, when you see the numbers stabilizing like that in the, in, the, in the depositors and how they come back to play more, it clearly tells a story, obviously, that you've done something uh, right. But I can say from my own perspective, as uh, so I would be the, um, the typical player. I don't know that much about uh, online casino operators and the UX and UI experience from uh, from my own personal experience, but uh, but I did register an account at uh, Casino Fridays, your your operator, just uh, when you launched the site uh, in in October, and um, I was amazed how uh, how the user experience is so crazy straightforward and simple to the point where. You know, I mean, even my dog Valpen could uh, register an account at Casino Fridays. I mean, it was very, very intuitive and really straightforward and really uh, into detail, minimizing the the friction from 
entering the site to having deposited uh, into the account. And that, that was what struck me a little bit of uh, what that's, how it stood out against other sites. And I heard other people say uh, similar things, like affiliate friends of mine were saying uh, unsolicited uh, that just, uh, oh, have you seen Casino Fridays, how, how good the, the, the user experience is and, 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 and whatnot. So that's kind of what I can share from my own personal experience. To, to the credit of Clayton Tonna and uh, mm. Giuseppe Belomo and these people that are uh, that are that meticulous in attention to detail and uh, they're really good and uh, they have really succeeded. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, good on that. And before we leave this, uh, you you very very strangely uh, jumped into this uh, announcement of uh, Quantum and then immediately we jumped past it. I mean, let's take a step back here a little bit, uh, Robert. I know you can't <laughs> talk uh, that much about your, your new product, but this is uh, completely uh, fresh news and, and, and whatnot. First of all, congratulations. Uh, that, uh, when can we expect more news on that new product on Quantum? Look, uh, it's no secret I'm fond of, uh, of your company, uh, Pierre, and uh, what you guys are doing. And uh, when you had uh, iGaming Idol uh, a year ago, then uh, Enrico was kind enough to read up an announcement uh, when I won an award saying that uh, we'd be back and it would be insanely great. And um, later on, we sort of uh, helped on uh, producing uh, on producing Ichiban. And uh, so I just wanted to uh, use the same forum to announce uh, Quantum. Now uh, it is uh, in development and uh, it is going well and uh, it is uh, the most exciting piece of technology I've ever worked with. And uh, when it will be live, I don't know. Um, it can take uh, three months, it can take six. Uh, I do think we're going to see some uh, features and innovations uh, coming out of that project that uh, will be used on Ichiban and other operators uh, within uh, not so many months. So uh, stay tuned for uh, was some great innovation. Uh, the name itself, um, you know, people think quantum computing and these uh, kind of things. Quantum essentially means sort of the the lowest um, or the smallest uh, source of energy uh, or particle needed to make a change. And uh, we sort of transpired that into the iGaming industry and software and technology where sort of the uh, the smallest change uh, or the smallest event uh, or the smallest particle is events. Uh, you know, when you when you're in the first uh, when you're the first text field of a registration form and uh, you click uh, your cursor over to the next form, that's uh, an event. That's something that's happening. Absolutely everything, whether it's a bet or a spin or a bonus granted or uh, or uh, yeah, anything that goes on is recorded in the iGaming industry as an event. And what if we could uh, take all of those events and harmonize uh, sort of the data catalog, create a uniform data standard across the industry and uh, create a decision engine where you could uh, do anything on the front end, anything on communication, anything on BI um, with those events and simplify that in a manner that every professional in the iGaming industry can use it. And, uh, and uh, that's what uh, we are pursuing. Uh, amazing, and, and uh, so so many small quantum leaps leads into uh, leads yeah. into big innovation. That is kind of what you're absolutely what you're going for. So we, yeah, so we, so we had this. There was this debate you did a couple of months ago, right? Incremental innovation versus uh, uh, versus exponential uh, innovation or big innovation. So you do, would you see that? Would you say that uh, what you guys are providing now will be um, a, a major major step forward? Let's say a major innovation. You know, every startup has a large chance of failing. Uh, if it succeeds, I think it will be a major step forward uh, and something that can really mm -hmm. contribute and benefit uh, the iGaming industry, operators, affiliates, and uh, and uh, platform providers and uh, 
and uh, all of the ecosystem combined. It would be really helpful. Awesome. Yeah, yeah looking forward to see more. Um, on that subject, by the way, uh, Robin, talking about like uh, innovation and disruption and, and these other things, um, you know, it's a topic that is on, especially I would say, a lot of the game suppliers' minds now is uh, the the topic of um, uh, you know comparing themselves to the wider entertainment industries like uh, Netflix and Xbox, and they are recognizing that. Um, we are fighting for the leisure time of our customers uh, against Netflix or Xbox and, and so forth. And yeah. you know, uh, if we if we if we bring up the the topic of disruption, um, you know, seeing that COVID is changing the landscape of business in many sectors in general, um, does this give the iGaming industry any opportunities to disrupt? But also, does it yeah. uh, does it also risk that the agro industry can be disrupted? And what could it be disrupted by? It's a big question. I know that. <laughs> Absolutely. And in that uh, debate, I mentioned that uh, one of the fastest growing and largest operators in the world now, doing 68 million uh, monthly NGR, is uh, EA Sports, and uh, that's their revenues they have on their um, on their packs, uh, their player packs that we talked about earlier which is gambling. Um, you put in money, you have an RNG, you get the randomized uh, output, uh, you win uh, some sort of player, it can be good, it can be bad. That player has a value that you can sell again on the marketplace. It's uh, gambling by default, but the experience is very different from a traditional uh, slot experience. I, if you see where the gambling industry is heading, um, you know, uh, there is sort of regu regulation. Uh, regulators are uh, imposing restrictions such as uh, you know there needs to be five seconds or three seconds or maybe ten seconds between each game round and uh, and um, there is max bets on stakes and these type of things. I think we need to produce a different type of content. If you see one of the most uh, successful slots, if not the most successful slot in 2020, was monitoring two from Relax Gaming, and it has bonus uh, feature by uh, you know I play that slot and I only buy you know I only buy the feature. I'm tired of the base game. I don't sit there and fix base, you know, uh, repetitively uh, hours in and hours out. I uh, I want to play the bonus game. And I think that bonus game is very different. It's much more sort of content rich. It's much more feature rich. There's a lot more variation as to what can happen than sort of the traditional base games uh, and lines and so forth. And I think you're going to see a lot more than this, that people are going to create whole uh, game round experiences where it's not lasting uh, half a second uh, or so, but it is more... Uh, you click and then you start uh, an experience, and uh, that's uh, absolutely where we need to innovate. And then you have um, then you have other innovation coming out. Uh, if you looked at uh, Scribe, for instance, as a game provider, they um, they've taken the old uh, sort of crypto game uh, bust a bit, uh, now packed in as a game called Aviator, and. Um, that's quickly turning out to be a very successful game in the crypto space, turning over you know fifteen twenty percent of uh, of NGR and operators that uh, it is listed on, and um, if you um, if you see those type of games, you know there is a chat, there is social, um, there is collective wins, collective losses, those type of things. I I think that's really really interesting, and that's a space we should look closer at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, you know, would you would you agree as well that the game industry shouldn't uh, focus that much on uh, you know um, competing against uh, each other? Let's say uh, you know, if you ask, for example, Todd Hasalter of Evolution Gaming, the, the CPO, if you ask him who are your biggest competitor, uh, he's not gonna say he's not gonna say Playtech, he's not going to say Microgaming. 
he's going to say mm -hmm. our biggest competitor is uh, Netflix. Our biggest right. competitor is uh, Xbox. Do you, do you agree with that mindset? And um, do you see it as a risk that that or that entertainment uh, platforms like Netflix or or Xbox potentially could disrupt the gaming industry? Or do you think that it's two different yeah. things? No, I uh, think uh, we're fighting for people's time online, and people's time online are going up. And uh, are they going to spend it uh, on service X, Y, and Z? Or eye gaming is absolutely relevant, and uh, he is uh, sort of a uh, testament to what I was just talking about. In that, uh, mm -hmm. sort of the game shows they have created is more casual. Um, again, you're buying into you know a game round that lasts maybe uh, 25, 30 seconds. If you play Monopoly and you get to the board, you know it can last minutes. And uh, it's a different mindset uh, than uh, the traditional games and they've been hyper successful and uh during the share price of uh, evolution up to uh, you know new heights and uh, i think that's a classical example of uh or sort of the innovation that has to come and uh of course we have to compete with each other and you know uh, competition by nature leads to innovation in my opinion and uh what i what i want to see is the rng based uh sort of the classical slot providers going down that direction as well of trying to create those experiences that todd is creating with evolution if we do that then we can definitely uh, win more time in a responsible way from uh from those other services online and change the perception of the industry mm. yeah it's a, it's a it's a it's an interesting just uh, topic to uh, sometimes just a thought experiment to say because you know, um, before an industry gets disrupted, um, it's it almost seems that it comes out of the blue. But in hindsight, it's always disruption seems so obvious. And um, mm -hmm. you know, if we if we look back to, for example, how Nokia was disrupted by Apple, you know, in mm -hmm. hindsight, uh, Nokia should have known better. Let's say, but yeah. um, the um, at that time, their business model was focused on you know creating. Uh, 20 different models of cell phones each year. They all look very different from each other. They all serve a, a small purpose within this um, uh, within this mm. market, and they completely didn't. They lost the, 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 the they lost the eyes uh, from the ball in the bigger question, which is like uh, the, the the innovation that made Apple what they are today is the, is really the App Store. Um, you know, the touchscreen phone would have come sooner or later from Nokia or, or whatever. But um, it was the App Store um, ecosystem that really created the success of the iPhone because all of a sudden you put the innovation into the hands of all the developers in the entire world, right? So mm. um, uh, you have a million different options of uh, customizing the functionality in your phone, which you did not have in the in the Nokia, and, and the, you know when the train had already left the station, um, Nokia were not able to to establish their own uh, ecosystem in, in in that regard. And same for Microsoft as well, who tried with the Microsoft phone and and, and failed and so forth. Um, you know, so that, that's like one example of like uh, disruptive technologies. But I mean, there's so many more uh, examples of that. I mean, just I mean on a smaller scale, like. Um, uh you know uh, uh, tinder disrupting match.com you know because i mean it's just the culture is what it is you know they missed match missed that uh that point or, or for example um, uh, netflix uh, disrupting uh blockbuster you know it seems so obvious in hindsight but during that time it's not really uh it's not really anything that we uh, that you notice until the disruption uh happens so the question is done what can disrupt the eye giving industry?
Yeah, so uh, I think I have an answer <laughs> and for that, and, uh, yeah. and uh, provided that uh, we we haven't rehearsed this before the uh, before know, the uh, interview either, but I'm going to try to answer it. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a big question. I think, I know. Uh, if you look at some of those, um, if you look at some of those companies you just mentioned, and sort of uh, what created the, the disruptive innovation in the first place, right? It actually started with Microsoft creating a software platform that worked for all uh, hardware platforms, and uh, then later on uh, you saw uh, variations of that, such as the App Store and uh, and uh, Salesforce and uh, so forth. If you look at iGame, that hasn't happened yet, and uh, there is um, two reasons for that. Main one is that there is a lack of a common standard. So um, when you go to banking, for instance, you would find uh, like a common data catalog um, that at least a network of banks are adhering to. And um, once you have commonality in data and in the open standards, then something very beautiful happens, which is that you allow third-hand parties to innovate and uh, to distribute. So um, if, for instance, a company, uh, take a company I like in the iGaming industry that is having some success at the moment, Blue Ribbon, you know, that is providing sort of gamified jackpots and, uh, you know, they're doing a really good job. Now, um, when they launch their application, since there is sort of no common data catalog to sort of uh, adhere to, then every single time they need to integrate a new uh, operator, you know, there is a process that will take two, three, four, five months. And uh, that's slowing us down. Now, what if there was a common data catalog that made it possible for Blue Ribbon to just build according to it? And once that was done, they were already technically integrated with all the operators adhering to that standard. Then suddenly the uh, application in itself would be uh, compatible uh, immediately. And uh, that would give us the innovation pacing and uh, speed that we require. And uh, for sort of that third-hand party innovation to happen, for there to be thousands of thousands of app developers that can sort of risk monetizing their uh, own uh, time and effort, you know, uh, you need to have that open standard. So I think an innovation that should be pursued in iGaming is definitely that sort of open standard that allows uh, the ecosystem to be connected. And um, the reason why this hasn't happened is of, for regulation, because since regulation is sort of so fast paced and emerging, then changes are happening that makes it almost impossible to introduce such a standardized uh, set of data. And uh, once that sort of calms down a little bit and once that is getting more established and companies uh, are adhering uh, more to those standards, I think you will start to see these solutions uh, appearing and then uh, then uh, yeah, companies will get their sort of bottlenecks eliminated and uh, third-hand party app developers can sell at whatever price point they want and they don't have the huge risk of uh, building up uh, large sales teams and uh, key account teams and need to explain everything. And then you're coming more to a uh, sort of Apple or Salesforce ecosystem that is very interesting. But openness is the uh, key to allow for such an innovation. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And I, I mean, even uh, even looking into mm. innovations like Megaways, for example, where, uh, you know, the, the, um, the innovation itself in the math model is really impressive, what, uh, what we uh, big time game and day, but more so what I think is really cool with that innovation is the fact that their main competitors, like mm. NetEnt, are, are actually publishing the, the mega ways and putting the uh, big time gaming logo on their own games, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. What was that? 
But there you yep. have it, precisely. But there you have it. Yeah, that openness exactly. that Nick and the guys have uh, enabled uh, is allowing uh, the yeah. sort of industry ecosystem to come together on the better user yes. experience. Yes, mm. and what it enables is, you know, if 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 you sit in in, you know, mm. it was it it had to be someone like um, an innovator like Nick that really uh, push, pursue this crazy idea that we're gonna create this and then we're gonna license it. Like mm -hmm. everyone, I, I would imagine that people would think like there's no way that NetDunt is going to uh, license uh, a uh, a math model from a competing uh, from a competing company and actually put the logo on there. But it, what it does is that from a, it it enables you to think in those terms. So when you think mm -hmm. about innovation, all of a sudden the doors are open for collaboration between competitors to that extent, which uh, never happened before. But all of a sudden, those doors are now open because it's been done once, it's been tested, it's been successful. And uh, why, uh, like the threshold to do it a second time is much, much lower now. I think that okay. is what you're saying is really the key, yeah. Industry collaboration uh, and open doors. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know Nick myself, but he must be really smart because uh, what he did was to embrace that openness, and uh, I think mm -hmm. he has scaled Megaways a hell of a lot faster than uh, than he would have done on his own uh, using sort of proprietary gains and uh, by allowing people to take into the, tap into the technology. Say, for instance, when Consequest went Megaways, right, it became a better game, and uh, arguably, and um, you know, as such has helped a number of companies actually improve their product and their service and. Uh, I think this is precisely the model we need to embrace. Be more open-minded mm. about uh, helping each other and using combining assets in order to drive the user experience forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would say, you know, so if if the industry can come to that point where the doors are so open for uh, collaboration between competitors, um, then that increases the chances of the disruption coming from within the industry, right? So which mm. is good. You know, we we want that type of disruption. I think the the danger. It's always if there is another industry that uh, that disrupts iGaming. So, if we take a step back, you know, uh, 30 years ago, you and me would have been working in the Ichiban land-based casino right here in mm -hmm. or, or whatever. And if we were in the land-based, if we were in a land-based casino 30 years ago, and we would have this uh, podcast, which would have not happened through the internet, it would be a videotaped uh, conversation instead. Um, yes. Then we would ask the question: What can disrupt? Uh, the casino industry and the answer to that we know now the answer to that is the agami industry because the agami industry is in the in the process of disrupting uh, land base right um Absolutely. so uh, yeah so that is like kind of okay where can the danger come from i, I think like just to as a playing with a thought experiment you know what if what if um all these uh, micro payments games um like candy crush for example uh, they decide one day that we're gonna we're gonna turn the switch. We're gonna make this into a real real money game, and just like um, DraftKings figured out a way how to charge for kind of sports betting, um, but uh, circumventing uh, the U.S. regulation uh, on sports betting at that time, um, maybe there is a way for Candy Crush and the other microtransaction payments companies to uh, circumvent the regulation in a way where they can. Um, where they can come much closer to what an uh, 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 iGaming experience is, and using the um, like insane databases that uh, they have and that Facebook have, for example, maybe then Facebook will decide to turn the switch and uh, create their own games that are uh, that, that are kind of threatening the iGaming industry. Maybe that is a disruption that can that we need to just 
be aware of kind of thing. You know, you know, yeah, I mean, it's I, healthy yeah. to think in those terms. And I think what you're describing is already ongoing at a large basis. You know, Better Collective, another fantastic company, they uh, bought HLTV, which is a Counter-Strike uh, forum. And uh, Counter-Strike obviously having millions of uh, users. And uh, when you play Counter-Strike, you uh, they drop skins that make you look uh, cooler and better. And when you have invested a lot of time in a game and uh, a ranking, then mm. uh, it is kind of cool to look a little bit special. And therefore, these skins are having value. Some are more rare than others, and therefore, uh, they uh, are costing more money. And uh, you can sell those, or you can even gamble those on Gamdon.com, for instance. Yeah. And uh, and uh, but my point is that HLTV then uh, was sold to I can't remember it, but I think Better Collective bought it for like thirty million. And that's an example of sort of how a very large uh, audience was unpacked, how they are closer to gambling. You know, there is randomness, there is value, there is uh, buy and sell basically, buy with your time and sell um, sell at a price. And um, yeah, the example I mentioned with the FIFA earlier, I think it's uh, the same. So I, I wouldn't see this as a, as a trap, actually, as a danger, sort of more the opposite, that uh, when we talked uh, earlier on in the call about how, sort of legitimizing the iGaming industry, then uh, I think if we can create a product that is closer to uh, mainstream, uh, that uh, more people will enjoy, then and these type of actors can move in, then obviously the industry will grow uh, tremendously. And... Um, Oh God, I use the Trump word. He's saying tremendously all the time. <laughs> tremendously. It's, <laughs> happen. it's happening, Robbie. I, I need to stop though. Um, I need to stop now. He's on the best, stop the tremendous yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, so I think we shouldn't see this as a danger. I think we should see it as a way to increase uh, the cake and uh, perhaps attract talent and professionals, which has uh, complementary skill sets uh, that needs our value, what we have learned over the last 10, 20, 25 years. And uh, I welcome that. And I hope the iGaming industry can make their leaps whilst the other sort of uh, e-commerce sectors are making their leaps in order to amalgamate this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robin, you gave me a, a trip down memory lane by uh, by mentioning <laughs> Counter Strike and uh, and this other thing. That's the environment I was raised in when I was uh, in my in my teenage years. Uh, so, Very good. So, so, yeah, some semi-professional Counter Strike player. That's what I that's what I was. But at, the, at that well, time, there was no money, no nothing uh, in it, and um, I was a little bit before my time in that, <laughs> in that respect. I should have yeah. I should have stick, I should have stuck to it. Uh, I saw actually during that time there was uh, the most famous player ever it was called Heaton. It was uh, I don't know. I were remember. you in that world as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you were. I, I, I never played Counter Strike. Yeah, I was more uh, of a strategy game uh, person. But uh, okay, yeah, I picked up the name from the scene. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He thought he was. I mean, he was a household name between the uh, in the uh, in the teenage boy world at that time, you know. And the 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 guy is still really famous. Like he's a legend in the industry you now. And I saw that actually, uh, Classy Beef, which is um, uh, a casino yeah. streamer, they designed yeah. Heaton as. Uh, as a streamer, which I thought was pretty funny. Well done. Yeah, yeah, good, good acquisition uh, actually by 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 them. Um, yeah. uh, Robin, before we, we close things uh, off today, this is a, a, a last topic I want to jump over to. Completely different, but the, the news uh, came out uh, two days ago here or yesterday even that Shay um, Segov is uh, leaving Entain. Uh, uh, right. And I just thought that there was a little bit of a fascinating uh, topic to just uh, talk a little bit about because he was only the CEO at Entain for a couple of months. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, he, he stepped up uh, uh, recently to, to become the CEO, CEO after he had been CEO um, for a long time and, and obviously mantling that big, um, big role in a huge company like Entain. They just announced a rebrand. 
and um, they are kind of undergoing this uh, process of MGM wanted to acquire them. They said no twice to two uh, two bids of, of uh, MGM, and uh, they are expecting there to be a third bid uh, uh, soon. Um, and I th just thought that the timing of, of all of this is uh, is um, obviously uh, strange in some ways. This is happening in a very successful basis that a CEO would leave after just a couple of months is not the for a huge company that's undergoing that much change is not the it's not the norm. Let's say. Um, no. As Shay is going to, he is taking a job as the CEO of uh, of Dawson, which is a, a large uh, a large uh, sports streamer, um, mm. a, a stream a streaming platform basically. Um, and I, I don't know, Robbie, we spoke a little bit about this before. You you aren't that read into this, but I want to ask you, like, I mean, you know, you you have CEO experience yourself from listed companies and and this thing, and. Um, isn't it something that is uh, seems a little bit that there has to be a little bit more behind behind this uh, the news, so to say? We are speculating <laughs> now. We have no information whatsoever here. <laughs> oh, but it's one thing my experience from listed companies tells me is that there is a lot more behind the news than uh, what comes out in public releases, at least. But uh, like you said, I don't know Shay, and I haven't um, read myself mm. up on it. And I think it would be immature of me to speculate too much of what's going on. But uh, you know, looking far, far outside of the window, one cannot ignore that uh, there is a living transaction. Uh, that uh, is ongoing, and I think the second aspect that is interesting is his destination, right? And uh, you know, we have long speculated that um, sort of the big uh, um, sort of media or you know sports media rights companies would uh, would embrace gambling to a further, uh, further extent. And um, I think it is interesting if uh, these large companies actually want to have gambling experience on board in their executive teams. Because uh, I find it quite weird that you sort of, when you're watching sports uh, online increasingly these days, I watch all my Premier League matches online, and uh, that you can't sort of place a bet directly in the browser and uh, place uh, a bet there and then with the actual, uh, you know, with the actual service that you're streaming the uh, sports betting website from, and uh, that you have to go for sort of a third party app or a secondary device. And uh, I'd presume, you know, if I were those, you know, media rights is going up. Uh, you know, I'm part of, you know, I own, I'm part owner in a in a company supporting a football club myself in Norway, and um, I see uh, sort of what's happening in those processes when they're selling the league rights and these things, and the prices are just going up, and they're going to go increasingly to this uh, what you call streaming based uh, actors in the marketplace, and. Uh, to fight for those prices, I presume they want to take over more of the value chain and uh, take some of the bets that is happening on their service. You know, when I'm placing a bet with whatever bet 365 unit bet on my secondary device, my phone, I'm sort of piggybacking the journalistic experience that ultimately the broadcaster is producing, right? And that these people are interested in taking parts of the cake of that action they're creating that, uh, that I find interesting. And perhaps uh, you will see something coming out of uh, those type of uh, hires. Yeah, talk mm. about disruption. I mean, uh, if uh, if companies like uh, Dasa and then or or others who are who are streaming sports would uh, would decide to go into the to sports betting, implementing you know having this massive platform where users sign up primarily because they want to watch sports, but they can also use the same platform to place bets. 
I mean, that's a, that's a paradigm shift in the in the sportsbook world that we're talking yeah, about. Like that, uh, when when we founded Gig uh, Sports and when we tried to really uh, pull it off in uh, in sports, that unfortunately we weren't able to. It's a very complicated. Uh, it's a very complicated vertical and very competitive vertical, but um, that was actually part of the vision here. That can we build a platform? Can we build a fully integrated platform? Can we partner with one of these streaming companies? Yeah. That was often, very often talked about uh, in the management of gig. And, mm. uh, and uh, I, I really think sort of, you know, if it is so hard from experienced uh, industry players to build a sports book and to do it properly these days, then imagine how hard it is for these larger media companies that are much, much larger than the gaming industry. And sort of mm -hmm. to find uh, to find a symbiosis there. And, uh, you know, we talked earlier about mergers and acquisitions. It's happening a lot from the US at the moment that I think some of these acquisitions would be very, very value creative and very interesting to mm -hmm. see happening. Yeah, yeah, we did. We just cracked the entire the entire strategy of that one uh, here, uh, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hope that this let's, <laughs> let's hope that this podcast stays live. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, it's super interesting perspective. Actually, I didn't think about that until you until you said it. But that makes a lot of sense. Actually, it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen on that front. We definitely have to follow it. Um, and I guess the second takeaway here then is uh, the the looming transaction of uh, MGM trying to uh, trying to acquire Mtain. And, um, you know, uh, if you are Shay Segev, you know, and we are completely speculating uh, here, obviously, and, and uh, uh, of course, but, um, you know, if you are Shay Segev and you have and you have a looming, um, uh, this looming transaction about to happen, you must think what is going to happen to me, of course. And uh, if this behind closed doors is pretty much a done deal, um mm. then uh the timing is and, and you get this type of offer that you maybe would have thought twice before in a in a in different circumstances then you would perhaps jump on board uh, that uh, uh that time of opportunity again we are just completely speculating here now but uh, but it's fun to speculate <laughs> yeah it's fun to speculate so i mean let's see what happens i mean uh, you know shall we shall we bet uh, shall we bet 10 euro and see if um if within if within a month that uh, there is a a deal between uh, or, or let's say like this a third bid from mgm to untain what do you think i think that bid is going to come it makes such a sense uh, from a strategic perspective yeah. and uh so if we were to uh if we were to make a bet i want to be on the side of the uh, <laughs> okay for the spirit of gambling which we both love i will take the bet against that even though i think that you are right but uh we'll put 10 euros on it but it's the 12th of january today so um so on the 12th of february uh let's see uh, let's see if we uh let's see if we have any news coming out of that <laughs> at least the third bid would have been made and if they have time to uh if they have time to respond yeah. to it Okay, okay, we'll do a virtual handshake then, and we, we agree to that. So, okay, we have a bet. <laughs> Robin, it's been fantastic uh, uh, today. The time is just absolutely flying. Um, I'm uh, looking forward to come back to Mobea soon and, and say hi, by the way. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, uh, it's always nice to chat to you, Robin. Uh, this is the second time we do this podcast, and I hope that we can do uh, more in the future again. It's always really interesting. So, thank you so much, Robin. Thank you, Pierre. Thank you. Thank you. This fruitful discussion has been brought to you by our sponsors, Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. Is your business struggling to keep up with the development demands on your current gaming platform? Well, 
then it's time to upgrade to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Multi-tenant, multi-currency, multi-regional, API-based, rule engine automated, regulation ready, it's all here out of the box. Smart businesses leverage Pragmatic's SaaS model and license powerful modern technology for a fraction of the cost of in-house development. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. Stay safe and take care.